Hello and welcome to episode 194 of the official EstablishTheRun.com podcast. My name is Adam Levitan. I am one of the co-founders here at ETR. I am your bronzed tennis Adonis. And today, today, I am joined by one of the truest, oldest friends of the show. This is a young man I met 17 years ago at a place called the Sports Network. He's covered European soccer. He's covered the <laughs> Eagles. He's covered the Sixers. He's covered the Giants. He's been in a brouhaha with Eric Flowers. He knows every <laughs> golf course in every NFL city. He's worked for Metro. He's worked for Comcast. He's worked for NJ.com. He's made his way to the worldwide leader. It is, of course, ESPN. He used to be the tennis partner. Yep, yep. Before I got into all these tennis bets, I used to hit with him all the time. It is ESPN's Jordan Ronan. Jordan, how's it going, buddy? Good. Thanks for having me, Adam. Yeah, long time. I and mean, we go way back. There's lots of memories in there in that 17 years for sure. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you've ever beaten me in tennis. Unfortunately, I haven't had as much success going forward against actually capable tennis players. But I had, let's be fair, I had never played tennis in my life, you know, in any sort of like com- competitive, like even like going and playing like multiple sets against somebody until mm-hmm. I started hitting with you. Yeah. So another excuse. <laughs> okay. On today's show, what happened gonna... when we played one-on-one basketball. Yeah, one-on-one's not my game. It's really not. I mean, I th- I believe this was like you know probably about seventeen years ago. I just took you down to the post all day <laughs> because you're a little diminutive, let's say, and just scored that scored at will. Yeah, one-on-one's not my game. You're right. I I liken myself to a, a smaller Steve Blake. Anyways, on today's <laughs> show, we're gonna cover. A bunch of things. We're going to get some background on Jordan and what it's like to be a beat reporter in today's NFL. Uh, We're going to get into exactly how information flows from the source, the reporter, to us as fantasy players. We'll get to some specific New York Giants stuff for the upcoming season that I think is interesting because they're certainly an interesting team. And then we'll take some listener questions from all you sick pups out there. Before we get into all that, I want to remind everyone that the bundle package is live, combines the draft kit and in-season the lowest price we will have all year for a limited time, that is up. Second, if you have the draft kit or the bundle already, be sure you're taking advantage of the underdog credit. You can find instructions on how to claim that credit at the top of Silva's top 150. Okay, so people often ask, I'm sure they ask you, Jordan, too. People often ask how I get in, how I got into all this as a quote-unquote career. And obviously, mm-hmm. I use that term very, very loosely. The truth is, I took a job at a place called the Sports Network right out of Penn State, in like 2004, they were paying me like 24 grand a year and Jordan fired me after four months. I mean, it was so sick. I was there for four months. They were they were barely even paying me. I mean, it was like a rounding error. <laughs> and, and then Jordan fired me after four months. He's a twisted individual. Jordan, what do you have to say for yourself about our time at the Sports Network? I clearly did not fire you. <laughs> I would have. That, that was, I mean, I was what, 24 years old? Clearly not making hiring or firing decisions, making not enough to live on my own, basically. Uh, That was definitely not my doing. But (laughs) I did help get you hired, bring you to Philadelphia, start your life. So I should I'll take credit for that, but I will not take credit for the fire. Yeah, they actually said I got rehired. I I basically brought you to Metro. Well, right. I'm going to get into that in a second here. They said I was quote unquote laid off, which is really just a fancy word for being fired. But anyway, <laughs> uh, 
so then what happens was there was a startup called Metro Newspapers, which was a free daily in Philadelphia, like kind of designed for commuters. I used to joke with my friends that it's like what the homeless people use for sheets and blankets and firewood <laughs> and stuff like that. But anyway, but it's not completely <laughs> inaccurate. There's, some, there's truth to that. Of course. Uh, but it was a really young staff. Jordan got the job somehow as the sports editor. And basically, like he could do whatever we want, whatever he wanted, which meant we could do whatever we wanted. I Jordan said you can cover the Sixers. I mean, I had zero beat writing experience. I didn't even I didn't cover girls field hockey. I was like, oh, let's go cover cover the Sixers. And when I say I was a disaster, I was just an absolute stone, total disaster, just a stone. Whereas Jordan covered the Eagles and actually did a good job. I was a disaster. I also no, wrote, no, no, no. I was a disaster too. You learn. I was learning on the job. I made some mistakes that I cringe at now. Kidding me? Yeah. Of course. Uh, but anyways, I also wrote this absurd gambling lifestyle column under the pseudonym Johnny McCash, which was completely ridiculous. And then I also wrote a fantasy column once a week <laughs> just about like strategy for season long. And that's how everything started to snowball to Rotolone. Anyways, my point you here. Skipped, hold on, you skipped a part. Yeah. You, I got you a job. You kind of took my spot taking scores at the Doylestown Intellig- oh, yeah. Intelligencer. Yeah, I wasn't even taking scores. I was like the agate clerk. If anybody's in the newspaper game, yeah, but my what, that's was, what the that's what yeah. an agate clerk is. You, I never you, answered the weren't phone. Weren't you me. taking them on the phone? Nope. Oh, I nope. took them on the phone. No, they knew so I couldn't. Talk. And somebody's got to tell you the track results. I mean, talk about mundane jobs, right there. Right. They knew I couldn't interact with any other humans, so they didn't let me. They didn't let me answer the phones. I took. The- <laughs> Sorry, you can't answer the phones. <laughs> that's too big a responsibility. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That was part time. Seven dollars an hour or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, those were low times too. It was also Friday and Saturday night. It was those were low times for sure. All but, the way on Doylestown when we were living in Philly, that was just yeah. like an hour away almost. Those were low times. But anyways, my point in saying all this is, I know beat writing seems simple. It seems easy from the outside. You know, I'm here to tell you that it's not. Uh, Jordan, uh, how bad was I, and how did you? What, how did you end up getting good at it? How did you, people were going to want to know, how did you go from covering the Eagles for a blanket newspaper to covering the Giants for ESPN.com? Yeah, well, first of all, I don't think you were that bad at all. Uh, I think you had an idea of what people wanted to hear. And that's like the, the really the basis of being a good beat writer, like getting the information that people want. And you were able to kind of relate to guys. Now, granted, everything is a learning process and it takes time. You got to learn how to maneuver around a locker room, but the longer you're in there and I, I'm sure it was the same for you. And it's the same for me. you learn like how to talk to guys, when to talk to guys, what, you know, who you can relate to, you know, they, they make a joke on the giants beat uh, a lot of the guys. And, and there's a lot of truth to this. Like I'm friendly with all the bad dudes somehow because I'm a bad person. So then it's like, I'm able to relate to people like me. So like the good, the good guy, like the, the good guys in the locker room, the people who are considered like, uh, you know, uh, more on the religious side, like I can't, I don't relate to them that much. That's just not what I'm, I'm what I'm all about. So, <laughs> you know, you're able to, and I think you, you're like that too. So you were able to relate to people. You were able to figure out which guys you can actually relate to. Now I, I joke about the whole being a bad person kind of a little bit, <laughs> but it is true. Like I'm able to talk to guys in a locker room that I can relate to more. The guys I can't relate to at all. Like 
there's just no idle conversation. And without the idle conversation, you can't create trust. So that's what I learned along the way. You, first of all, you learn how to get information, which is the most important part. And then you have to learn how to deliver it and what you can kind of present and how to present it. Now, Ruben Frank was a guy, and you know him in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. He was a guy that kind of helped me along the way. I mean, I was so green. And I, when I, when I was covering the Eagles at first, like I had no idea how the game worked. The game being the beat writing game and the information, uh, you know, dispersal game, like of getting information and sending it out and getting it out. And guys like Ruben Frank was one of the first guys. He really like took me under his wing and helped me out. I remember watching the great legendary, and you'll, you'll understand this. Not a lot of people will understand Phil Jasner. Yeah was awesome at his job. And I remember watching him the way he worked and that's really how you do it. And you learn from mistakes. So I worked my way up, built my way up, did the same route. You did worked at the sports network, uh, an information gathering site, basically uh, was a wire service, you know, learned how to write there. Uh, then went to the Doylestown intelligencer where I, like I said, I took scores like track and gymnastics on the phone, which was God awful. I mean, talk about wanting to blow your brains out some nights sitting there taking swimming scores. There's like 50,000 events in high school swimming. And then, you know, the guy that one of the guys there recommended me to someone at the Metro working hard at the Metro, getting over, you know, getting in at Comcast, doing stuff at Comcast, getting hired by NJ.com, uh, getting hired by NJ.com on a part-time basis and then getting hired to cover, you know, moving over, getting covered to, to cover the, the giants. Uh, and then from the giants at NJ.com working and getting hired at ESPN. And it's all about connections. This is a people. I always tell people this. It's a people's business. Yeah. And, th- and that's why is- I, I had to be out. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's 100%. You, got, you got, you got canceled. Yeah. yeah. No, when you found I mean- that it's a people's business, you're out. Well, no, look, I mean, the truth is that I, I do think that I know a lot about sports and what people want to read and stats. That, that's not even close to the most important thing. The most important thing of being a beat writer by a mile is relationships and like interacting yeah. with, with other humans and like schmoozing them and ass kissing and stuff like that. I, I can't I can't do it. I can't. And like, I just I, I don't know, man. Like, but to, to me, like, it's infinitely more important than knowing what you're talking about or being a good writer, just like oh, knowing people and schmoozing them. So, I mean, 100 percent, that's. That is the thing. Like anybody can just go to a press conference and gather what they say and write a good article, you know, but what people want to hear about, I think what sets you apart and other good beat writers apart is can you get information that A, most people won't tell anybody else or B, like you're not even supposed to know. So like, how do you even get people to tell you that information? Like I never got anybody to tell me anything that they weren't supposed to tell me. Well, you, you have to earn that trust from the individual. Right. And so if you have a relationship with an individual, they're willing to tell you things knowing that you're not going to screw them. Right. That's the whole thing. Everybody's worried about getting screwed over. So you have to create a relationship where there's enough trust, where people are willing to tell you something and then you're going to present it in what they think is a fair and equitable way and not screw them over. Now, have I screwed people over? unintentionally I have along the way and it has, it happens like sometimes like Justin Pugh, great guy. Okay. And he was doing a press conference once 
And he was saying how, really, I hate the Eagles. But the phrase he used was, I hate, because he worked, you know, he's they're the, they're the enemy. He was grew up in Philadelphia. He was an Eagles fan, but he was with the Giants. And the, the, the quote that he used was, I hate Philly. So when my editor splashed that as the headline, yeah. when really he was saying, I hate the Eagles because I play for the Giants, all his friends are like texting him and calling him and be like, you know, what the hell are you doing? Like, you hate yeah. Philly, you traitor, you're, you're you know, <laughs> POS. Like, and he's getting killed. And he like texts me basically. And he's like, never talking to you again. Right. And I was like, what are you talking about? I was driving home. I didn't even know that was the headline. Yeah. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And I got home and I looked at it. I was like, yo, you got to change this. It was too late. He's like, and I said to him, I said, look, sorry, there's nothing I could do. Uh, the, the, the editor put up the whole story was about how he didn't like the Eagles. Yeah. But the, the quote was, I hate Philly. And so he was like, sorry, man, you have to take the, you have to take the brunt of it. Uh, it's your fault. And yeah. basically he didn't talk to me for like a year or two. Well, I think players and readers both don't – a lot of people don't even realize that writers don't actually write the headlines. I mean, writers have no control over what the headline is or at least little control over what the headline is on a story, right? Yeah, no, that is true. And so you always naturally say it's the editor's fault, which a good editor always tell you. If you hit into, if you get into these problems with your relationships, blame the editor. <laughs> They're willing to take the blame, right? They're the behind-the-scenes guys. Always yeah. blame the editor. Rule number one of beat writing, blame the editor. To get yeah. to maintain those relationships. <laughs> so I, I think one thing that you can see, though, and I'm, I, we're not going to name names here, but there's some reporters out there in the NFL that's very transparent that they're like mouthpieces for the teams or mouthpieces for a certain agent. So, like, you know, you can get a lot a long way in this business, I would think, by just, you know, carrying the water for teams. Whatever ex-general manager wants you to you put can. out there, you put out there. Whatever ex-coach wants you to put out there, you put out there. So then you have a good relationship with them, but you're also a mouthpiece. So how do you do – the balance between being this shill mouthpiece for someone and also having a good relationship. Yeah. I always like to tell guys like, look, you know, it was a two way street kind of you pat my back and, you know, it, and I'll, I'll do my best, but I'm going to be honest about, you know, like if you play poorly, I'm going to say you play poorly, like, but I'm going to be honest with you, honest about it. And I'm going to look in your eye and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be the one who asks you questions. I'm not going to be the one who stands in the back. And then knifes you, doesn't never ask you a question because they're scared to ask something negative or something. Even like guys know when they play like crap, right? Like they know it. Like you, you, you know, so I'll say, you know, if I ask them about their struggles, because look, there's a lot of guys out there that will never ask the negative question. They're they're scared. But then they'll go, they'll take the quotes that other people ask the questions and they'll write and they'll knife you from behind in a yeah. second. So I try to make that clear to you guys. Like, look, my job is to sit here and disseminate information and tell the and, and and people tell me stuff all the time. I don't report everything people tell me. I report a small fraction of what people tell me because my job is to sit here and decide, okay, what is the truth? I'm not just going to sit there and be somebody's mouthpiece. Like my job is to sit here and parse the information and decide what I what I think is true because I know when people are feeding me BS. Now, sometimes yeah. I, maybe I'm wrong. A couple of times I probably put out something where I know I'm like, I know I was being used. I didn't notice it until afterwards. Like that happens. Uh, yeah. But I try and I have a pretty good radar. I think this is one of my, one of my best skills that makes me, uh, that has helped me get to where I am in my career is 
my first impression is usually right. I can tell when someone is BSing me or a bad person or completely full of crap. Yeah. Um, okay. One thing I didn't like is, and this has been kind of coming to a head lately, um, is it feels so antagonistic between the media and the players. Like I really felt like, and I was only there for a little bit, but I really felt like 95% of the players, if they had their choice, would never talk to the media. Like they really hate oh, the whole thing. They, they, they hate the whole thing. And honestly, like I don't blame them in some sense. Like, like you said, like they can talk for 30 minutes and they make one little joke or one little controversial or, or offhand comment. It turns into some big headline that makes them look really bad. You know, so I don't even blame them for being pissed off at the media a lot of times. But like, I, I can't imagine going to work every day and my job is to talk to these guys who don't want to talk to me. It, like literally, I just have no interest whatsoever in talking to me. So how how do you overcome that? And do you feel, is there anything we can do to make the relationship between media and players better? Or is this just how it is and some beat reporters are better than others that have relationships with players? Yeah, my approach is I try to talk to them on a personal level, you know, and not, know that, look, and I always try to, and it's important to me that we're, this is, a, we're human. Like we're just doing our job. And the idea is, we are there for a reason. I always tell guys this. I always say, this, we always have to remember, this is an entertainment business, okay? Our job is to kind of keep the conversation flowing publicly in a broad sense so that the, your sport, you know, gets talked about. So your sport is popular and, and keeps growing and getting bigger, like, and then that leads to you then making more money, the sport being more popular. And I think that's the thing that needs to be conveyed to the players. Yes, they can go out on their own platforms. And, you know, that's the thing. Social media now exists. So they mm -hmm. have their own platform. Like, what do I need the media for? I can right. just go out and spew whatever I want. Right. But they're not going to answer the questions most of the time that, that the general public wants answered. They're going to feed you their own propaganda which is fine. I mean, there's a purpose for that for sure. But I, I just try to explain, look, it's an entertainment business. It's like one big cog. We're all just pieces in this cog. And in the end, it helps us all make more money. Like that's yeah. what it's about. It's about the business having more attention, more eyeballs and being more popular. And in the end, that'll benefit, benefit us all. And now most players don't understand that. They don't get it at all, that whole yeah. concept. And they want to have nothing to do with you. They think you're the enemy. Right. And it's becoming more and more like that. And I don't know if there's, there's any way back. I mean, because the players are, get, are getting more and more power. You know, so I don't, I don't know if it's ever going to get better. Yeah. I, I think in a way it might only get worse. But it, it, the team, it's really up to the teams. The teams need to explain to the players that this is basically, the media is essentially a marketing tool for the league. Right. So they get publicity and attention. And in the end, it benefits everybody and that they have to do it. Like a lot of teams don't explain to guys they have to do this. This is part of the job. This is part of their contract. It's something that they have to do. It's a promotional event. Yeah. Essentially. The, yeah. They would argue that most of the media that comes out about them is negative, though. And so then they get super tilted about it. You know, it's not promotional. It's negative. Is that real? Is that realistic? Oh, How many? Yeah. How many people sit there and, and uh, kiss their ass on social media and tell them how great they are? They love that, right? <laughs> but then you can, you can write 20 good stories about a guy, and then you write one critical right. thing, 
and all of a sudden they get super sensitive. Yeah. I mean, that that's where we're at as as a, you know, sports society in, in I don't know, probably more than this country, but at least this country, but probably yeah. the, the world. Yeah. Um you mentioned business and money. I'm curious if beat writers, I know you are, but are beat writers aware of how important fantasy is to their job? Like I know you are and a bunch of other beat reporters are, but I mean, who else besides us fantasy virgins are following every single tweet? Like I actually have alerts for beat writers set up. Yeah. Like I'm, I, I, I don't miss anything. I read all their articles. I'm subscribed to every single newspaper. I try to read every newspaper every morning. Who else is doing that? Besides me, do they realize how important fantasy is to the beat writing game? Or maybe you disagree. Maybe you think it's not that important. Maybe you think beat writing is still about the fans. I don't know. No, you know what? I told somebody with the Giants years ago. I mean, probably like eight years ago or so. They were like, oh, what are you, you're interested in that. It was some kind of fantasy angle part of it. Yeah. And I'm like, look, you understand, like we all have jobs and we're getting paid what we get paid for two primary reasons fantasy and gambling yeah and at the time the leagues were still like oh you know we're too good for that of course now they're willing to jump in bed with it like no other because it's huge money that essentially was out there and the reason why the nfl was so much more popular than every other sport so the teams were like no it's because everybody loves football they love the giants right oh and i was like okay whatever you're living in fantasy world and you've seen everybody sort of catch up. ESPN, and I can only speak for us, is really big on like our group, the NFL Nation group. We yeah. do a lot of fantasy specific stuff. You know, like we answer fantasy specific questions every week. Like there, there's a em- big emphasis put on fantasy. Uh, so I think that places do realize how important it, it is these days. And, uh, but the teams are finally catching up. And I think there was a time when they totally, just thought we're the NFL, we're the X team, we're we're so popular. And but those days are gone. I'm curious about fandom moving forward. Like kids nowadays, everybody used to be super provincial. You were a fan of whatever team you city you lived in or your parents were, and that was it. It's not like that anymore. People are so into fantasy, their their favorite, like they're Steph Curry fans, so they're warrior fans, you know. And so in, in the next generation, like in 20 years, what is fandom even going to look like? I'm really curious to see what that is because of fantasy and because of gambling and just because people can watch every game. You used to only be able to watch certain games. Now you can watch. If you want, like Steph Curry, you can watch the Warriors anytime you want. Yep, exactly. No, it's changed so much and it's only going to change more. To- totally agree. Um, I want to, oh, one other thing I had to ask you, are, are beat writers aware of how much of an impact like an off the cuff tweet can have. And we know how much impact Twitter has, but like, let's say a beat writer tweets something on Sunday morning, like, uh, or maybe like Friday during practice. He's like, uh, doesn't look to me like Antonio Gibson is moving quite right. And like, man, that's super subjective and super speculative, but you could have millions of dollars shift from Antonio Gibson to someone else because one beat writer tweeted this. Are the guys on the beats aware of this at all? Look, I really don't think so. Most people are not aware of that. I, to be honest with you, I really don't. I haven't thought about that that much. Uh, now, I've I'm, I've changed my approach. And look, I, I we've had conversations about this before, about you know Twitter strategy and approach and social media. And I've changed my approach over the years, and I'm really much more selective. Like, but a lot of people are still out there just tweeting whatever comes to their head 
at any time and just throwing it out there like 50 tweets a day like you know they, and there there's a lot of beat writers out there they're still doing that i'm sure you under you know yeah because their stuff comes across your wire and you're like this person just tweets too much like what right. i don't care what this person thinks on every single thing in life yeah and i'm very i view my social media accounts in a much different way so i think i understand that a little bit more now never thought about it to the degree you are but i think most beat writers no way yeah. do they realize how impactful that their tweets might be in regard like we're just, they're just trying to produce content the good content uh and especially you know serve the organization they work for they're not they're looking to do a good job and and uh, you know impress their organization and their bosses they're not thinking about the impact about what the the information has on people yeah. and the money that's out there they really don't yeah and like I generally don't think, and maybe this is insulting to the beat reporter game. I generally don't think that beat reporters are great talent evaluators. I see so many beat reporters tweet like, "This guy is going to be great this year," and I don't know how much I buy into that. What I do want to know from beat reporters, though, is, man, there's who's playing, like who's who is on the depth chart. Like there is so much interest and value in depth chart reporting. Like, can I just get on Sunday morning? Is this too much to ask, Jordan? On Sunday morning, can I get the running backs? or the wide receivers, who's lining up with the first team? Who's lining up with the second team in warm-ups on Sunday? Can you tweet that to me? Or maybe yeah. for practice, can you tweet to me who's getting the first team number three wide receiver reps? I don't care if you think X player is good or bad. Who do the coaches think is good and bad? And who are they putting on the first team? What's the order on the depth chart? Can, can I get this information on Sunday morning or even from practice? Yeah, I've gotten those texts from you before. You know, people would really be interested in like the Giants running back rotation this week, you know? <laughs> and you're right. It's sometimes it's just you don't realize because your bosses, for the most part, don't care who the number three receiver is mm -hmm. on the Giants in their two and 12s. They're two and 12 at the time. Nobody, right. they don't care. You care. Like people out there care. So it's a very delicate balancing act of what you think people care about and what people actually do care about. And, and yeah. it, it, that's really what goes through at least my head. And a lot of times it's like, I'm trying to do, to put out information that I think is relevant. Like who the backup quarterback or the third string left tackle is, is not relevant to anybody. Nobody gives a darn about that. Yeah. No, you, play you, you play fantasy. You know Absolutely. that it's important. You know that it's important who's lining up in the slot this week because X guy is out, you know? It's still, it's it's not what your bosses are asking for. So it's not at the top of the beat writers, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. conscious. Well, so so there, then it just kind of flies under the radar. You're like, oh, you just seem to know it. You're, you're locked in this zone, right? You're around the team so often that sometimes you forget. And I find myself in this all the time. I have to take a step back. And say, what would an outsider or somebody who's not here? Because to me, it's like, oh, this guy's been in this role for three straight weeks. He's still in that role. I mean, they, or I see it in practice throughout the week. This is, and I, yeah. I, I already reported it on Monday and Tuesday. But like you said, then Sunday morning, that's what people want to know. It's still like, ah, they don't really know for sure. And you, you, it's not, you're just like stuck in the zone. The season is like a long slog. Oh, yeah. Like where every year I get to the point where I lose my car in the airport parking lot. <laughs> or I, I mean, when I used to go back and forth between Philly and New York, when I was covering the giants, but living in Philly, I would get, at least it would get to the point of every season where I would get on the wrong way of the turnpike. <laughs> and after an exit, I'd be like, Oh crap, I'm going the wrong direction. What am I doing? 
Like yeah. you're, you're, it's a long season. You're like, you, you need people to remind you or you need to take a step back. So that's why I think a lot of times people miss, this is the information, the basic information that sometimes people want. Yeah. Well, listen, uh, I'm giving, I've given this out on the podcast before. I'll give it to you as well. Billion dollar business idea, a fantasy specific reporter fantasy only for each team this fantasy reporter is not there to do features on players family that we don't care about <laughs> uh, he's not there to criticize the coach he's there to simply find out information on injuries and depth charts and that's it one for each team charge a, a ton i would pay a ton for this one for each team and he's out there to ask fantasy depth chart and injury questions and that's it nothing else billion dollar idea anyways <laughs> just give it out hey uh, hey come on start the business up man yeah i know uh, well, let's go start it up Get okay. get someone on it. We'll, we'll be we we'll get we we'll get some investors. Get some money. Yeah, dude. I'm telling you. Okay, I want to get to injury information stuff. Obviously, beat reporters are incredibly important for injuries. How tight to the vest are teams with these player statuses on injuries? When a guy gets listed questionable, how hard is it to get you them to tell you whether they're going to play or not? And and why would they leak it if they're going to play or not? Like, why not just come out and say it? Like, why leak it to Schefter or or you or whoever? It's an interesting question. Uh, just like you said, that's that relationship. And like, you know, you, you're there, you know, okay. I mean, by Sunday morning, who cares if anybody knows the other team at that point can't then can't go and draw up a game plan yeah. based off something they learn on Sunday morning. It's too late already. There's so much that goes into it. People don't understand the nuances that go into football and playing, uh, you know, designing game plans, the amount of work that goes into I mean, these, these coaches work hours that I think are stupid. You would definitely think you're stupid. Uh, like there's no reason for you to, to wake, to work 20 hours a day. Like yeah. there's no way you're being productive all 20 hours. You're wasting a lot of your time and you're working on four hours of sleep. Then you're, you're less, you're less productive the next day. You know, like sure. all these coaches. I mean, I said to Joe judge once, I said that what time are you waking up in the morning? Are you like five? He's like five. I'm, I'm like done with my workout by five already. You know, <laughs> like yeah, football guy. Like, so you're yeah. waking up at four a.m. I mean, you're going to sleep and uh, getting home at midnight and working and waking up at four a.m. every yeah. day. I mean, right. it's, uh, I mean, it, that's just the way it is. It's a crazy well, business. People, so that's why they're willing to tell you, like, because by that point it's too late. You guys, you know, it's a two way street. You work together, right? In in a way, they're willing to tell you stuff. They know that there's something coming back eventually at some point in return. I mean, yeah, not in, in, not in regards to coverage or whatever it may be, or they just like you and they trust you. Like that's, that's what it's about. The individual who's usually hurt. Isn't the one who's often the guy telling the information either. I'll say that it, it's yeah. usually, it's usually the coach who's willing to, you know, tell you what's going to go down on Sunday or other players who know, cause they got the players usually know by like, here's the thing. The players usually know what it, when they meet on Saturday, you know, so they usually meet on Saturday night. They do a walkthrough on Saturday morning and then there's an, there's a, they, they do some sort of meeting on Saturday night, whether it's home or road, either way. And in that Saturday, by that Saturday night meeting, usually even the Sunday, the Saturday morning walkthrough, you know, for sure who's basically playing and who isn't or what everyone's role is going to be. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask you about why the Schefter bombs come out so late on Saturday night with the uh, injuries, but I think you answered that well there. I think it's really because coaches in general don't want that information yeah. out before Sunday, you know, really Sunday morning. At that point, they're just feels like everyone's just racing each other to get it out. 
Right, exactly. Okay, last beat report question before we get to the Giants. This whole aggregation model, and honestly, like I was a huge part of it at Rotoworld. We made a, an entire site of aggregating beat writer takes, and this was before Twitter. I mean, we would read every article and basically aggregate what we thought was important, put on the site. It became extremely popular. We weren't paying the beat reporters or or NJ.com or, or any Washington Post. We weren't paying them anything. Basically just stealing. I don't want to say stealing, but I guess aggregating is kind of a, a way of stealing and putting our spin it on it. It sucks. Yeah. Pro football, talk, pro football Talk turned this into a massive business. I mean, massive business. Now, like, everyone is doing it. Everyone is doing the aggregating of takes business. Is this tilt? Beat writers. Uh, how much are, do beat writers hate all this? Uh, what can beat writers do about it? I can it, only I mean? t- talk for me, but it tilts me to no end. Like, big blue banter, you know, <laughs> IG is, like, got 50,000 followers, and they just take stuff that you put out half the time and they slap it on their site with a nice looking graphic and the breaking news. Like I wish there was, this was intellectual property and they couldn't just take it. I wish there was a way to basically say, look, this is mine. Even though I'm putting it out in the, in the public realm, like you can't just take it and throw it up even with attribution, but that's the world we live in. And the, you have to understand like, it's a crazy ecosystem that out there because you say something and then by the time it's done going through the layers of aggregation, it might say something completely different and there's nothing you can do to pull it back. It's already out there. And the Joe players seeing it on Instagram or whatever, or whatever site you want, Twitter, whatever it is. I think more, more players are on Instagram than Twitter or use Instagram and Twitter. And it's like, I didn't say that, but it's out there and there's really nothing you could do about it. It's it, that drives me bonkers to no end. You know, people don't even read or listen to stuff. They just take it and they take whatever the first next person aggregated and then aggregate it on their own. And then they aggregate it and then they aggregate it. And so the fifth layer of aggregation might say something completely different than you said. And you're just like, throw your hands up. You're like, what the heck? I really yeah. wish there was a way for me to protect or not just me, but every individual could protect the information that they're putting out there, uh, that, you know, that they own it. Now it's not just public information out there that anybody could take and twist and do whatever they want with, because that's, yeah. that's part of the problem. And I don't know if there's a solution to it. Yeah, no, I know. And, and I, I like reading the aggregated sites because I can quickly get through all the NFL news much faster than I could going through and reading everybody's articles and takes and everything like that. But I agree with you. It's, it's a problem when it gets twisted. It's a problem that the writers don't get the proper credit, even if it is attributed. You really have to click on it and click through sometimes to see if that's really what was. Yeah. Sometimes you're just like, that's so weird. Did he really say that? And if yeah. you click on it, you realize, well, OK, that's not really what he said. You know, that's that's a slightly embellished version of, of what that individual said. So, and, and you, may, you mentioned something before I wanted to say this, you know, I thought I was smart and at the beginning and I would give my evaluations and, you know, my opinions on a lot of different things and the more plugged in you get, you're able to do this. And so now I realize I know Jack, right. In regards to evaluation. So if that's not my job, I'm not putting in the full time of evaluating players. I have people that I trust the most. Like I get information from and evaluations from all different kinds of people, but there's certain people I trust more than others based on track record. And I try and tell you, like when I give an evaluation or an opinion, a lot of times 
Most of the time, it's an informed opinion from somebody I trust because these people actually know what they're talking about. These people mm-hmm. actually know what they're doing in regards to the evaluation business. Yeah. So I feel like that's what you want. Like, you know, you're like a lot of times I'm saying this player is looking really good. I can't tell which offensive lineman is looking good. <laughs> I'm telling you what one of the coaches in a right. conversation on the side told me, and I'm giving it to the public saying, Hey, this guy's looking good. It's like, Hey, watch out for this guy. I'm like trying to say in a nondescript way, that's not blaring that it's from somebody that's from an assistant coach or from like the general manager or from an, uh, an executive or whatever, or the, the head coach, whatever it may be that they really like this guy. And mm-hmm. this guy is good. They has a good chance of blowing up because they, they know more than us. They know like, of course, which guy is, has a good chance of, okay, this guy's really going to be good. Like they know pretty much right away. Of course. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And yeah, I never thought of it like that. Because usually I would think if you were doing that, you would say a source within the Giants told me that X guy's playing really well. But, you know. But you don't want to burn those or those those sources, especially for something so non... Like, yeah. What's the benefit of that? So a lot of times I'll just say it in my own voice, because what good does it do me, right, to say source on something like that, something that you can basically point back to a specific coach or a specific general manager... You know, yeah. people can then know exactly who it came from. It, it becomes too obvious to me. That's not worth ruining the relationship. I always, when I have information, um, that's a, that's what you have to juggle a lot as a beat writer. You know, how important is it to potentially ruin that relationship to put the word source on it? To me, I'll say a lot of things a lot. I'll, I'll use source, I think, less than a lot of other people. Yeah. Because I don't, I don't think it's worth it for something that I'm just tweeting out that's not even in a story and not even written for me to source it and, and then potentially, you know, ruin a relationship that's important to me. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's quickly go through some giants questions here. People had giants questions. I have giants questions. Obviously the big question is Saquon Barkley. Saquon. Uh, you wrote a big story last week coming off the ACL and the meniscus in his right knee. Um, give us the overview of where you think Saquon is at now and what you think about his usage this season. I think he's doing well in his rehab. There's nothing right now that has happened that would say he's had a setback. He's not going to be fine. He's not going to be okay. But I talked to enough people where it was relayed to me, hey, we have an investment long-term in this guy. We want to invest long-term in this guy. They don't really have it yet, but the idea is this guy's going to be part of our organization for a long time, right? Why would we rush to have him on the field? He played 87% of the snaps week one last year, mm-hmm. okay? What good does it do them? Coming off a serious knee injury in his first game back to come back and potentially play 87% of the snaps in week one of a, what is now a 17-game season. Like, what? what how, how is that smart? for the organization to bring him back to that degree because they're not going to bring him out there and put him in full pads and have him banging with people in training camp. That doesn't make sense either. Right. You're going to be taking it very carefully with him in training camp. How much contact is he even going to face in training camp? How many times is Saquon Barkley going to take a hit in training camp? The answer, who knows, could be zero. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't think it's out of the question. Like you're not going to have a running back coming off a serious knee injury, taking hits in training camp ever really so you're going to bring him back really slowly and you know whether that means 
50% of the snaps the first few weeks, 30% week one, 40%. You have to understand that the first probably quarter of the season, which I guess there is no quarter at 17 games anymore, which is just messes up everything, right? <laughs> <laughs> the nine and eight. They're going to be nine and eight this year. They're going to be 10 and seven. It doesn't, it doesn't even sound right at this point. Yeah. But it's just like we're they're going to bring him along slowly. Yeah. Whether it means first four weeks of the season, you're not going to see – Saquon Barkley completely unleashed, whether it means he might not play till week three, who knows? Like this is, these are all, I think, somewhat realistic possibilities. If you look on the spectrum of possibilities, I think they're all on there somewhere. Now, is it likely he plays week one? Yeah, sure. I think it, I I think it it probably is, but is it likely he's going to play 75, 80% of the snaps? Definitely not. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, you know, uh, my, I, you don't have to comment on this. My argument would be that based on running back career arc, he's they don't have a long term investment in him. Like they should be counting at him, Donzo, in like three or four years, and so they should use him as much as they can now and not pay him. But anyways, that's a whole other. But story. there's a marketability part of this. Sure. There's a he's the face of the franchise. Like you go into a store, what jersey you see? Yeah. So maybe if Daniel Jones blows up and has a big, a big huge year and be, and can become that guy that's marketable. Right. Uh, then, you know, he's that guy. So it makes yeah. it a, a more difficult, more uh, nuanced decision for sure. For sure. Yeah. And, and obviously, you know, we're going to take some of what Jordan says and account for it in projections and rankings. And when you're splitting hairs on these first round guys, if we think there's any chance he'll be limited in the first month, you know, he might slide back a few places. We'll talk about more with that about that with Evan. Every later. running back comes with risk, though. Is, is that sure. not true? I mean, that's the oh, look, yeah. at, look who was drafted the running backs last year. They were the, the first, what, three guys were all dust basically of course but we don't have to we don't have to spend a top three or four pick on a guy who's already coming in limited you know what i mean we don't have to we could who doesn't come with question marks at this point though yeah well christian mccaffrey was injured all last year also yeah Uh, dalvin cook's had injuries in his career you just gotta wait and get eckler and mixon to start and you're golden okay anyways uh you gotta send me you you gotta send me the under the table list that you do every year that's, that's uh, what I wait let's, for. Let's talk about this Kadarius Tony pick. I don't really want to debate the pick itself. A lot of the analytics guys hated it. I don't want to get into that. I think just from a usage perspective, how do you think Kadarius Tony will be used in year one? Do you have any idea yet? And what wide receiver do you think he would take the most from? Not only have they added Kadarius Tony, they also added Kyle Rudolph. So we could include Evan Ingram in there. Who do you think loses the most out of Shepard, Slayton, Galladay, Ingram? I think it's Ingram. Ingram was like, he was the they tried to force him into the number one role last year. I mean, his usage was hot. I mean, they tried to force feed him the ball as the number one target last year. Now there's a pretty deep tight end room with like four guys who have real NFL experience in the same room. Uh, now I think Evan Ingram could be more efficient. He pretty much can't be less efficient than he was last year. I mean, between the drops and just the, just kind of wilted. Uh, yeah. But he's the guy who's, probably going to get affected the most. I mean, there's so many other targets this year. Just think, this offense, and this is why I think the Giants are going to make a significant jump this year. They went from having pretty much nobody. Shepard was injured at times. So they had Shepard, Slayton, and Ingram. Now they're re-adding Saquon to the mix. They're adding Kenny Golly. So those are two really premium players that you're adding Mm -hmm. to an offense. You had those two guys alone. That's a lot of offense you're adding. Then you're adding Tony, who's a first-round pick. Then you're adding Rudolph, who I know you're – and I'm like you. I'm probably an ageist in sports, 100%. Like, I don't like old guys. 
He's mm-hmm. still a red zone threat, which in fantasy just will drive you nuts. I mean, because he'll pill for touchdowns from guys. That's mm-hmm. that's his best skill at this point. One, at least from a receiving perspective, he's a he he's good in the end zone. He doesn't need a lot of room to make catches. So you add all these guys to an offense, they're going to make a jump. Yeah. The question is, how do those snaps then get dispersed? And that's why I don't know. I don't see Kadarius Tony being a guy who's going to have a huge target share, a guy who's going to play uh, 70% of the snaps. I just don't see where those snaps come from. The only way I think he's a really useful fantasy player, DFS guy, is if Sterling Shepard gets injured. Then he steps into the slot role, play like 70 80%, and he yeah. could be a really good player. In the meantime, he's a guy they're going to use as like an offensive weapon, especially year one as a rookie. He's a young, he's a, a guy who's still learning the receiver position on top of that. So he's kind of like a gadget guy who can be used in special teams as well, who they might use in the backfield, who might play wildcat quarterback at times, play uh, in the slot, play outside. But how can you trust that for fantasy? That's that's like your worst yeah. nightmare for fantasy. He may be a stud and average 15 yards a touch. But the worst thing for fantasy and DFS is when you don't have target share or don't yeah. have a high snap percentage. Like I'd rather a guy be less effective and play 90% of the snaps. Sure. No, I mean, the, the issue isn't going to be, is he an option? It's how much is he going to take away from actual options like right. Galladay or Shepard? Right. He's or not taking Sting. away from Galladay. Galladay is, yeah. he, that's the thing about Galladay. He fit a spot for the yeah. Giants that was just vacant. They did not have a big outside uh, contested catch number one receiver who can go up and catch the ball, who when Daniel Jones is in trouble, he could just throw the ball up to, and Kenny Holiday could come down with a catch. Yeah. Now, Sterling Shepard is kind of the underneath blanket. I still kind of like him when he's healthy, and if he in that role, back in the slot where he's probably best. Like, I like Sterling Shepard in that role. I still see him producing similarly to, than he has in the past. Uh, but it's Galladay. I mean, it's uh, Ingram whose stats completely get you know pulled back. Saquon probably even a healthy Saquon as a receiver. Remember those stats two years ago when he loaded up on catches, and I know you're well aware of this. Eli checked down central like those numbers are never going to happen again yeah. for Saquon as a receiver. Yeah, and when he did his rookie year as a receiver, he just won't get those opportunities. Now he may be more efficient, maybe be able to make more big plays. Uh, the Giants' screen game last year, even with Saquon in the first few weeks, they had 25 play-action screen passes last year, okay? they uh, No, sorry, 15. They went for 25 yards. Yeah, Think about that. That's, like, hard to do. That's how inefficient it is. That's hard to do. Yeah. So they'll be cool. more efficient, but the number of opportunities for him out of the backfield isn't going to be some big number. Yeah. And I also, I mean, you don't have to say it. I'll say it. I think Jason Garrett is kind of a total dunce. And so, and so, uh, you know, there's a lot of problems there also with the scheme. Last, last, what do you think of Freddie? Freddie Kitchens. He's going to have a bigger role in the offense. He's already doing more with the offensive line. He's going to be involved more there. The the other coaches are also, they're going to be, they're going to have a bigger role in there. It's not just Jason Garrett. So it gives you a little more optimism, I think, right? Exactly. I like to hear that. All right, last question here before we get to a couple of listener questions about the quarterback from Ryan Seal. He says, please share thoughts about the Giants passing on Justin Fields at 11th overall. And from CHN Sports Guy, why aren't the Giants trying to land 
Aaron Rodgers. Daniel Jones is a piece of shit playing quarterback. I didn't say that. <laughs> that was that was CHN sports guy. Uh, why aren't the Giants trying to upgrade a quarterback? It seems like they're going to give Daniel Jones at least one more year to try to prove something. Yeah, I mean, the Giants already made this investment. They they see enough behind the scenes. Like, look, granted, he was bad last year. Awesome. I don't think there's there's no way around it. He played poorly. But he also had dust around him, right? I mean, so in order to give him a fair shake, there was enough optimism. Think about it. If we turn the clock back 12 months, there was optimism on Daniel Jones because he showed a lot his rookie year that – made you optimistic that he could be that quarterback. Now, the Giants see enough behind the scenes in regards to his work ethic, the way he operates. He can make it pretty much every throw. There's a lot to like there. So they, the idea is, okay, let's – and look, you saw that this offseason. The number one goal was to get him playmakers, to put enough players around him to say, we're going to see one way or another whether he's legit or we need to move on from him. So now look look at the position they put themselves in. They have gave him all these weapons, even if the line sucks. The off- let's say the offensive line stinks, right? There's too many weapons for this offense to finish 31st in the league in points and yards and every stat you could think imagine. The only reason they weren't 32nd is because <laughs> Adam Gase was the coach of the Jets, right? So now he has everything. You have an opportunity to fully evaluate him with a good team around him. It's the same concept as Josh Allen now. Is it realistic to say he's going to make the same jump as Josh Allen did in year three where he became an MVP candidate? I think that's probably unrealistic. But if he makes a jump to middle-of-the-road quarterback, quality quarterback, which I think is really reasonable, I don't think it's completely unreasonable. After last, after his rookie year, you would have said it was reasonable. Oh, yeah. Last year, everything just went wrong for them. It yeah. was a terrible year. So let's see what he could do with weapons. That's how the Giants feel. And now they're in a position where – they have two first-round picks already this year, right? Next year, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. And they could say, if Daniel Jones doesn't work out, then we're in a good position next year to potentially take those picks and turn them into something, you know, good and get another quarterback next year if that's where they have to go. Yeah. So it kind of makes sense. To me, it makes sense. Giving up on Daniel Jones now is probably a little too early because last year was such a mess, and some of it was not his fault in regards to Saquon got injured and they were just without Saquon, they just did not have enough weapons or an offensive line that was good enough to support him around him. Yep. Okay. Let's get to a few listener questions here before we get out of here. First one comes from Mo and you can no comment this one if you want, but Mo says, has Jordan recovered physically and emotionally from the Eric flowers truck stick? Yeah, it was, there was no physical recovery from that. It was a put the hand on the shirt and I was like, I don't know if you could tell here, but I'm about like two feet from the wall. That's kind of what it was. It was like a brick wall back there. It was kind of like a walk back, like, like that. <laughs> and then I'm sitting like this. And I think I played you the tape once. There was tape of the audio. And it's like, yo, bro, hey, whoa, whoa, hey, hey, whoa. <laughs> so, you know, my goal at the time, um, Deadspin was huge. I was, my goal, I just started ESPN that year. My goal was to not do anything stupid to put myself – get myself on dead spin. I think this was like game four of me covering the giants for ESPN. And it was like on the front of dead spin. <laughs> for those guys who don't know Eric flowers. I mean, he's got to be like what, like six, nine, like three thirty or something like that. He's, I mean, a huge he's, guy. he's not six, nine, but he's just wide. He's built big and huge, yeah. real introvert. It was, it, it was totally out of nowhere. I mean, I, I hadn't spoken to him 
in like a year and like he was mad apparently about something that happened like a year before like it was yeah completely out of nowhere granted it was a rough game for him <laughs> clay, clay, clay matthews had like 17 sacks yeah one of many <laughs> rough games for eric flowers in his career uh from Especially chris he, he says Chris says, how much should I wager on Joe Judge, coach of the year, to go along with my division plus 450? So I also have some Giants plus 450 to win the division. I think the division is really close, way closer than plus 450. Now I think that line has come back a little bit. But yeah, if they do win the division, Joe Judge certainly has a good chance to win coach of the year. I kind of like betting them both. I don't know. I know you probably can't comment on this too much, but I do think the Giants have improved enough to at least put this in play. Yeah, you know, I, I... I've been commented plenty on it. I thought the Giants plus 400, 450, whatever it was at the time. I mean, those are high odds for the Giants who are weren't far off from winning the division last year. We just talked about they're definitely better than they were last year. So I, I, I always thought their odds, when I saw that for the first time, I even texted you. I was like, man, these seem really off to me. Like, that's pretty high. So, yeah, why not, Joe Judge? I mean, I – I don't know if their ceiling is like, uh, you know, I got to think of these stupid numbers. My uh, 12 and five, like they, they can't say 12 and four anymore. 12 and five or 13 and four, which, you know, some team is going to come and blow yeah. up and go 13 and four. I don't know if that's in the range, the realistic range of possibilities for the Giants. So it would probably be, I'd probably think more along a team that can do that. Yeah. Than it with their coach than, than Joe Judge, but. You know, hey, if they're if they have a chance to win a division, it's not a. There's some value in it for sure. For sure. By the way, I, you keep bitching about this a 17 game season. It's not about the records. It's about you having to work an extra week for the year. <laughs> I, don't don't try to don't try to fool the people. I always <laughs> used to joke with Mike Reese because he covers the Patriots and Jeff Howe, who also covers the Patriots for the Athletic. I used to always joke with both of them, like their job. I can tell them working till like mid February every year because they were in the Super Bowl every year. Right. I was done by New Year's. <laughs> um, okay. Last question we're going to do today. Uh, I, I actually didn't write the name here, but I promise it was an actually a question submitted. It, it said, How thirsty does Tha- Saquon's thighs make you and other beat writers? I don't know if you've ever know if you've noticed this, Jordan, but this offseason, beat writers are taking and talking about players' thighs at just a like outrageous rate i mean this is they're writing about players definition in their thighs they're taking pictures of them they're tweeting them out well what's going on in the beat writer scene with players thighs this spring yeah this is like what we talked about before you give the people what they want <laughs> and like i know if i take a picture of saquon's thighs it, everyone's gonna be like oh look at his thighs Ooh. so yeah you know people people see it it's happened now for years he, I, I daniel jones i had pictures of him working out last year People are like look at his legs. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, yeah, we're we're thirsty. We're thirsty for thighs, man. Okay, yeah, I get I it. I mean, there's they go. We got a slogan. We got we we should patent that. Thirsty for thighs. Yeah, well, there's already all these people on Twitter and in the comments uh, calling me thirsty for thighs. So yeah, I'm just <laughs> I'm just I'm just aggregating the information. I'm not out there. Oh, because you're it. high on AJ Dillon. Nah, I just you know I had some thigh tweets. No big deal. Okay. Um, <laughs> We've said it all. Jordan, tell the people where they can find you on Twitter. Jordan's going to be our source for everything Saquon, and obviously he understands the fantasy game. Be sure you're following him. Jordan, tell the people where they can follow you on all the platforms. At Jordan Ronan on Twitter. That's J-O-R-D-A-N-D-A-N-R-A-A-N-A-N. Nobody can get that right. And Jordan Ronan on ESPN. I'm on, on, on Instagram. I'm on the 
pretty much every uh, social platform. I'm learning. I'm learning a lot of new things. You know, Clubhouse, TikTok. If you're not open to learning and change, you know this. You're gonna fall behind, man. God, I know. Can't, you can't just be the old guy saying, old guy yelling at the cloud. You know this stupid social platform is dumb. Yeah, it's, you fall behind. Just because you don't understand the future doesn't mean that it's not going to happen. I mean, that's just yeah. so obvious. Okay. You know, I'm mad that Silva's not here because I wanted to put him on the spot, you know, because ETR's favorite beat writer, he's, he, when he talks to me, he gives me, oh, you're my favorite beat writer. But we all know if he had to save me or Nick Underhill, <laughs> if we were both there, we're drowning in the water, and Evan had to save one of the two of us, who do we think he would save, huh? <laughs> Nick Underhill. Nick Underhill. It's Nick Underhill. I, I don't. I have no doubt that I'd be dead. <laughs> it's, it's a great point. We should have Evan on to answer that. I will ask him that next time, and we can clip that against against Evan's answer. So producer Luke can title me uh, ETR's second favorite beat writer, <laughs> beat reporter. <laughs> uh, that's good. Okay, we've said it all. Hope you guys enjoyed this. I enjoyed it. For producer Luke. For Jordan, I am Adam. Good luck, everybody. Mm-hmm.